Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Hey, Dwight, how's it going? Everything's great. How's the great state of Wyoming? It's booming. How was uh, David's graduation? It was fantastic. Awesome. 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 Good stuff, man. Good to have you back. We missed you last week. Oh, I miss being here, but I have to say I enjoyed seeing my son uh, oh, absolutely. move on. Yeah. It was, did you say it was boot camp? A boot camp for program engineering. Oh, okay. That's, that's really cool. That's really Six cool. days a week, 12 hours a day, just like being in the military. Wow. Yep. Wow. Those programs are really cool. You can get a lot of skills in a real short amount of time. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought about it too. Just, just to like, I want to learn how to program. I feel like, you know, all this stuff in the modern world, I don't know how any of it works, you know? Yeah. It, it'd be, it'd be good stuff, but cool, man. Did you get a chance to uh, watch last week, last week's? I uh, got started in it, but this has been a, uh, an amazing week with a lot going on. So I'm sorry. I didn't get to no catch worries. up. No yeah, worries. You but, can always catch up later. Uh, yeah. I created a mighty networks for you guys. I'm glad that yes. I think you were our first one in ah. <laughs> always going for so, the extra credit. <laughs> <laughs> it is an amazing uh, uh, tool or network. And I really yeah. appreciate that because uh, I was able to catch up on the very first lesson, which I missed. Oh, so right, I like right, that. Right. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. It's um, it's something that the coaching community that I'm a part of, uh, where they, they focus more on fixing your language mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, kind of like change some of your behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use it and they, they have like a great network of people that we hardly ever see each other, but we all mm-hmm. feel really connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's like a combination social media network as well as website. So I'm helping, I'm hoping with ours that as we get more people in, like you can post on it if you wanted to. Oh yeah. You can post like a question. So only like hosts, so that would be me and Patty could do like long articles, but if you wanted to do an article, we could always, you know, throw one up there. Okay. Uh, so you can post all types of cool stuff. What's up, Nicola? How you guys doing? How's it going? How's it going? Good. Good. How about yourselves? Is everyone having rain? I feel like everyone's weather is the same as where I'm at. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Well, we we are experiencing um, the end of summer. Uh, uh, this this morning was fifty two degrees when we got up. That's and awesome. our high was seventy five today. Yes, oh, gorgeous, man. Yeah, make my room up. Make a room up for me and Patty. We're coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds like beautiful weather. Yes. How long, how long have you been out there now, Dwight? Uh, we moved out here December 6th. I think we closed on our house on the 7th. We actually got to move in here on the uh, January 12th. 
we were living in Longmont, Colorado until we were able to move into Cheyenne. Got our furniture about that time. You know, moving from New York to uh, to uh, Wyoming, there aren't that many trucks that come this way. Mm. So we had to wait until there was a full load. Oh, wow. Um, That's intense. So scale of one to 10, how much do you love it? Oh, no regrets, man. It is, well, other than losing all my friends yeah. and relatives behind, but it is wonderful. You go to the uh, sheriff's office to get your event, uh, your registration done, and the sheriff walked me out of the car, and it said, do you hunt and fish? And I don't know if that was an invitation, you know, but it's the friendliest town I've ever been in. Uh, three minutes in the DMV to get our our uh, license plates, you know, yeah. what a difference. <laughs> you mean it's not three hours like Staten Island? Oh, take a number. No, no, they called Mr. and Mrs. Harvin. Would you like to come up? Oh, wow. It's just amazing. Amazing, amazing. I go in with the New York Yankees uh, ball cap, and they're like, oh, that's very interesting, you know, so. Well, good stuff, guys. Good stuff. All right, let's. Uh, I think we're waiting for a few more people, but let's uh, go ahead. And Dave is not going to join us today, but I think Andre should be joining us soon. He's probably just running a little late here today. But in case you guys are listening at home, welcome to our summer of scripture, where we are doing our first ever summer of scripture. We're focusing on uh, Saul, Rabbi Shaul, otherwise known as the Apostle Paul. Every Sunday, we have a meeting like this from six thirty to eight. Dwight, my, my signals must have got crossed today as well. For some reason, I was like rushing here for six o'clock. And, and Patty's like, no, you still have a half an hour. Where are you going? I was like, cool. Yeah, two weeks I was, ago. I <laughs> Did you? I signed in at six o'clock. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I'm a half hour early. <laughs> Where is everybody? I didn't know that. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, but I had everything set up. So that, that's nice to have everything set up and ready to go. So we'll, we're here. We do these summer, summer seminars where we do a mix of we present some material and then we talk about it. It's been uh, lots of fun for me. We are flying through. We are now in week seven. Uh, this is our four part in Ephesians. And when I first conceived of this class, I was like, oh, we'll, we'll totally be in chapter four in part four, uh, which uh, that <laughs> we'll barely get out of chapter two uh, this week. So it's, it's definitely always takes longer than I think it will. Uh, we're also doing some summer reading as well. I know some people are following along. Uh, these are all suggested. Obviously, we don't check homework. Um, we have Paul, a biography that we're, we should be completely done with. We kind of flew through that one just to get N.T. Wright's overview of uh, his thoughts on Paul. And we're in the middle of reading How God Became King. I have my copy here. And last week, I forgot to assign reading. So I'll you know make sure I do that this week uh, so we can all keep up. And if you're looking for a good commentary, uh, Paul for everyone series again by NT Wright is an excellent, excellent commentary to kind of get a really good idea, a good overview of Paul's thinking, Paul's thoughts. He's kind of done his life work on Paul and it's kind of led to a lot of other things that he is, you know, an expert in now because of that. Uh, we also have recommended these cool scripture journals. Uh, so you can take notes if you're following us along uh, really fun stuff. I know I've been enjoying mine. And of course, as always, we have our Patreon page. Please feel free to, you know, support us so we can make even more cool stuff. So we're going to just dive right in Ephesians part four. We're going to quickly review 
uh, some stuff from last week and kind of like where we've been. So we're going through the whole letter of the Ephesians. Uh, so as we talked about, kind of like when we started Ephesians, this is Paul's apocalypse. It's apocalypse <clears throat> now, apocalypse meaning revealing, right? Or revealing something that was hidden, like the lights turning on, suddenly be able to see something. And Paul, the way he's kind of constructed Ephesians, is the first part, one through three, which we're, we're slowly making our way through, is comprehending the apocalypse. And the, the last part of Ephesians, four through six, is now, now that we've had this apocalypse, what's our response to it? And it was kind of surprising to us because, you know, the, the apocalypse was that through Jesus Messiah, what he did, right, Jew and Gentile are now one. So we've kind of been working through that. Uh, today, here's their macro structure of Ephesians 1 through 3. Uh, we're going to be working in the first C part this week. We're going to be looking at the two parallel narratives that we talked about when we went through this whole thing. And this is the cool diagram that we went over last week about when Paul is speaking about you know, the age, the present age and the age to come. This kind of gives us a whole sense of what we're looking at. And we're, and as you see, as we go through Ephesians, this is something that will kind of hit again and again and again. You have the current age, characterized by evil and sin, death, slavery, right? Violence under a curse. And we have the age to come. That would be characterized by justice, love, life, freedom, shalom, or rest, blessing. And we kind of see here the heaven and earth kind of thing that we were dealing with when first we we're talking about having an apocalypse kind of coming together. Right. And the thing that shocked Paul, this is a very Jewish idea. This isn't a Christian idea. This isn't a Paul idea. The idea of the two ages uh, was that the ages had come together in this strange and bizarre way in the Jewish thinking uh, kind of the way they were reading their scriptures, there was going to be this age. And then there was going to be something called the day of the Lord. And it was going to transfer is going to trans translate everything right into the age to come. There's going to be no more evil, no more sin, no more death, no more slavery, no more violence, no more being under a curse. Everything was going to be made right. And what the apocalypse was for Paul that was very, very confusing is that Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, that age to come, that new creation kind of popped in to the old age without consuming the whole thing. Right? It didn't completely overtake it, uh, but that there would be an age to come when Jesus would return and would make everything all, all right. So we're kind of living in, in the middle of two ages. Uh, so even, you know, and we'll talk more about that as we go through today. We talked about the value of having Paul's worldview in our head when we're reading through anything that he's written, right? Uh, Paul kind of had the whole story of the Hebrew Bible in his head. It's very, very important. We don't want to import uh, our own stories or we, what we think Paul is saying when we deal with Paul. The co most common one, most common assumed worldview when you're going into the Bible is the whole heaven and hell thing. Uh, you know, even just talking to anyone who's even not a Christian, you ask them, hey, what is what do you think Christianity is all about? They'll be like, oh, I know. It's about, you know, going to heaven and not going to hell. So, you know, we want to talk about how really more of what Paul had in his mind was this age and the age to come or the now and the not yet, uh, how we kind of live in the reality of the resurre resurrected Christ uh, as we await his return. We get to participate in the age to come here and now. Uh, 
even though it will be brought to fulfillment when Jesus returns. All right, so we're going to jump right into it. We are in Ephesians chapter 2. Yes, kudos for us. We have done it. We have finished the chapter. All right. So the first thing I thought we would do is we do a little exercise. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 18 in my ESV scripture journal. And we're just going to have a quick discussion about any initial observations about the structure, relationships between different words, phrases or ideas, anything that kind of just jumps out in your mind. Anything that you, you think as we read this together. So we're starting in Ephesians 2, verse 1, and we're going to be kind of camping out between 1 and 18 all of today. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. <clears throat> By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have we both have access in one spirit to the father. So we kind of just read through that quick. Any initial observations you guys noticed as we read through that real quick? I'll let Dwight go first. (laughs) 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 And remember, no wrong answers. Okay. Do you want me to go first, Dwight? Well, I keep seeing grace, 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 grace. Okay. Grace, grace. That's awesome. 
Yep. Grace is kind of, it's almost kind of like he's hitting you over the head of that word. I keep saying this whole thing about like who we were and who we are. Hmm. Like you were once this, you were once that following. And then it's like, and then now, you know, uh, the hostility, the wall of hostility has been broken down. The wall. Um, you, you know, where is workmanship? Uh, I'm going to go back to what stood out to me. And then he goes back to it again. Like, remember at, at one time you were Gentiles, the uncircumcised. Um, and then he goes, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So it kind of does like a lot of reminding of who you are and who you were and who you are. Um, and I, I also see, um, is there like, is Paul just being Paul or is there some kind of a hymn or a poem in there that I'm, that that's there when he kind of talks about, um, uh, it's this phrase that he says, um, Like, for we are his workmanship, created Christ Jesus for good works, which God appropriated. No, it's right before. He says this thing that almost sounds like he's quoting something, and I'm just wondering if it, if it's there. Um, it's kind of, I'm just trying to find it again when we first read it. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, she has loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And um, is that something maybe that's like, or is that just him giving information or is that like something that was already established or something because it's kind of a cool statement it's a real statement you know what i mean yeah no it's it's interesting that's a it's a good question uh we're gonna have a chance to to look at the logical uh flow outline too so that might that might clear up some of that stuff um paul you know obviously as, as we've talked about paul is very dense so i think everything he's ever written should kind of be treated like poetry mm-hmm. uh you know um but in terms, are you asking, is this something maybe that he's taking from someplace else, like a saying? Yeah, I was just wondering if that little section, because it's just, it's so yeah, grand, like it's so like, yeah, anyway, yeah. that's all. I was just kind of asking. That's great. That's good. Good observations. <clears throat> any uh, any issues in the text? I got a chance to see uh, Marty and the B- from the Bema Project preach. And I, I like the way he kind of like went through everything. Um, and, you know, that, that's one of the questions he always asks. Okay, what? What problems do we see in the text? Uh, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, but do you, any any problems jump out? Like, oh, huh, that was that was weird. You know, almost imagining that we don't have any familiarity with this. We just kind of found this in a drawer someplace. Go for it. Well, it's just it's, um, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Um, and that sounds past tense, mm. yeah. um, which I think, you know, the way we look at things is typically is very future tensey. Right. Um, you know, so I just think that's an interesting phrase that we've sk- we, we, we take something like that and just anachronistically, you're gonna, I guess, like look at it like, oh, that doesn't mean that. That means yep. something else or whatever. So, yeah, it's a great observation. And again, you know, when we, this age to come there's a sense that i think paul would agree he's like yes it's already happened and yes it hasn't happened yet like so there's some type of meta category where you know right now i hope you guys know you guys are actually ruling with jesus in heaven you know it doesn't seem like you are right but in the paul worldview 
you already are, you've already been enthroned of Christ and you have not yet, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's, there's still like a future reality coming. So I think that that's kind of cool. Anything of you, Dwight, that kind of jumps out? Like that's, that's odd. I've, I've listened to, uh, I've listened to the podcast before and, uh, I've forgotten and I'm looking through this and I, I found the letter in her drawer. Like imagine your wife wrote this or, or one of your kids, you're probably wife. very concerned. <laughs> wife, wife, like, wife. like someone, you know, wrote this, you like, you know, you're reading this like, Oh, that's weird. You know, for me, it's always uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I mm -hmm. believe that it says in the NIV that that one for me was always like, what yeah, does that mean? Where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. Does Paul know about outer space? I remember asking myself that. Like, does he know that there's no air up there? He must, you know, when I when I first read all this. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, just something to keep in mind as, as we, we go through all this stuff. So <clears throat> As you can see from the chart where we kind of are, we had we had A, right, which was kind of the victory song to the Father, Son, and Spirit. We had the prayer for an apocalypse from Paul. And mm -hmm. now we're into kind of these two narratives that Paul has kind of really nicely paired together in a way that they kind of they almost fit like a hand in a glove. They fit together very nicely. It's a it's a really cool uh, constructed uh, paragraph. Uh, you know, two paragraphs kind of side by side. He clearly did this intentionally. So I kind of love it. So the first one that we're looking at is going to be from chapter two, verses one to 10. And that's kind of like the cosmic narrative, like the cosmic point of view. I think Nick, you said something similar to that. Uh, and two is kind of like, you kind of zoom in, right. And you're kind of looking at the covenant people of God. You're, you're kind of like into that point of view. We'll look at that now and what we'll do is we're going to read it again and this time we're going to use the logical flow translation provided to us uh, for us by the bible project kudos to them uh, they have awesome great classes and resources that you can find all types of cool stuff like this on their website so let's begin in chapter two verse one in the logical flow outline and y'all because remember all the you should be translated you all being dead and all y'all transgressions and sins and which at one time you all walked according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. And there's a line from the sons of disobedience. i right, going to elaborate on that further among whom we also all used to live by the passions of our flesh, doing the will of the flesh and the mindsets. It's kind of a curious phrase right there. And we were by nature children of wrath, as also were the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, and we being dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with the Messiah. By grace, you all have been saved. And he raised us up together and sat us together in the heavenlies with Messiah Jesus in order that he might demonstrate 
and the ages which are coming. Remember that diagram that, that we were talking about earlier. The surpassing richness of his grace by kindness to us in Messiah Jesus. Mm-hmm. For it is grace that you all have been saved through trust. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works in order that no one can boast. For we are his handiwork, having been created in Messiah Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you all the Gentiles in flesh who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcised, what is performed by hands in the flesh, that you all were at one time without Messiah, estranged from the citizenry of Israel, and foreigners of the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in through Messiah Jesus, you all, who were at one time far away, have become near, in through the blood of the Messiah. For he himself is our peace, the one who made the two into one, and having destroyed the barrier of the wall, the anonymity, in his flesh, having set aside the Torah of commandments and decrees in order that he might create in himself the two into the one new humanity, making peace, and that he might reconcile to God the two by means of one body through the cross, having killed the anatomy in himself. And as he came, he announced good news of peace to you all who are far off and peace to those near, because through him, We both have access to the Father by means of one spirit. Therefore, then, you're all no longer foreigners and immigrants, but you all are fellow citizens with the Holy Ones and members of God's household family, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the cornerstone being Messiah Jesus himself, in whom the entire building is joined together. Gave you guys some extra verses there. Cool. So some things that we want to... We want to note, we want to look for the similarities between these two narratives. So you have verses one to 10 and then 11 through 18, right? So the first thing that kind of jumps out is, you know, at the end, at the beginning of the second narrative, right? It says at that time, right? Beginning to 11, that connects the second narrative back to the first narrative in, in a way that these are like parallel. So they're going on. It's like, there's like something, a story happening at the same time. If you think back to our big diagram of Paul's worldview, right? This is a very Jewish idea that Genesis one through 11 is one plot. And then there's a subplot, right? Or main plot for Israel, for the Jews. And that's the whole Jewish history. And it kind of culminates with Jesus. And that kind of brings everything together. That resolves plot number one and plot number two. This is a biblical worldview. Uh, That's where Paul got this, this whole idea of plot and subplot. And the second thing that kind of connects the whole thing is the flesh, right? There's a lot of the flesh in both of these narratives. So that connects, that should, again, should be lighting up bulbs in our brain as we kind of go through this, of these things being connected. And the last thing we're going to point out here is the idea of you, right? We want to remember you know, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, especially uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8, right? That's always kind of, that's typically, traditionally 
kind of thought of as a very like me centered verse, right? When we're kind of going through all this, we have to remember that the yous are not just speaking to you, right? It's speaking to you all, right? So there's something that, you know, that might make that verse hit a little different when we think about that. The second thing is this concept of agents of death, right? So there's the ruler of the authority of the air in verse two, two. So that's kind of producing this, this state of death, right? In the cosmic view of creation. And in the second one, in the covenant family of God, it's somehow the Torah, right? The Torah has kind of become this agent of death somehow. We're going to, we're going to talk about that in a second. That's kind of our discussion question for this section. And we have God, God intervenes in both narratives, right? In the first one, two, four to eight, right? How does, how does he intervene? Uh, What's God's response to humanity that's deciding to destroy itself, right? Deciding to align itself with this strange ruler of the kingdom of the air. Of course, it's mercy and grace, and he makes us alive. He says being saved, right? And in the second narrative, when we get down to the covenant family of God, uh, we have the blood of Messiah, right? In 2.13, which has brought those who are far off and those who are near, and it's made them one. With that, we have this idea of new humanity, of new creation in both of the things. I love this this, uh, turn of phrase, uh, new humanity. It's something that you guys know, I'm an N.T. Wright fan. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but he also, he made a translation, his own translation of the New Testament. It's kind of just him. He didn't really do it with any uh, translation committee. And it's kind of cool because every time, you know, Paul talks about this new humanity, uh, he translates it like that, you know, and a lot of times it's kind of lost in, you know, you call it new creation, uh, new Adam, you know, so I think that's kind of cool that, you know, in the logical flow outline that's been preserved this new humanity right so we're looking at what we're really looking at is we're looking at two parallel story arcs and i have to remember to flip through my side slides uh i hope yeah you guys are all on mighty networks uh so mighty networks has all my slide decks it has everything it has my notes you know i have notes for all this stuff uh that i do with you guys that's something cool you guys can go if you're like hey i want to i want to look at that a little bit more closely. So we're looking at two parallel story arcs. You guys know me. I'm an English guy. I love my story arcs. Conflict, climax, and resolution. That is the bedrock of any good story. There needs to be an initial conflict, an initial problem, right, for our hero to solve or for the story to solve. There needs to be some type of climax, right? There's some type of high moment where the stakes are at the highest, where all hope seems lost. Think of the Lord of the Rings, right? Or think of any good story, right? There's some type of climax and that climax leads to a resolution. There's something different from that climax. And so what we're looking at here is we're looking at, you know, basically two parallel story arcs. It's, it's all right here. And so like the, in the first one, the conflict, two uh, verses one to two, right? There's, you were dead. You were dead in all of your transgressions and sins, right? And in two, 11 through 12, that's that's the second narrative, the, more like the down to the covenant people of God, you know, talking about you 
who were, you know, not of the circumcision, not of the circumcision, right? You were without God. And being without God is somehow the same as being dead, right? And this this is all, this all goes back to like Genesis one through four, you know, eat of this fruit, you will surely die, right? They get exiled from the garden. And it's like, it seems strange. Adam doesn't die right away. You know, it's almost like, well, he does die eventually. He ends up living under the shadow of death, mm-hmm. almost like this concept of being, you know, alive, but dead. Right. And so in the biblical worldview, it's very much the same, you know, being dead is the same as being without God. It's living under the shadow of death, a form of almost like living, living death. Uh, we get the climax in the Messiah in the first narrative, our cosmic narrative, you were made alive, right? You were made alive through grace with the Messiah. All of you have been healed, right? And in the second narrative, 14 through 15, it's kind of paired up with, you know, far and near. Far being us, the Gentiles. I guess I consider myself one of the Gentiles, not Jewish, ethnically. Uh, near being the covenant people of God through Messiah's blood, right? Two into one new humanity you know so being made alive being freed from the shadow of death is somehow the same as being combined into this new humanity and then we get the resolution right for the first little narrative the cosmic one right you in verse uh verse 10 right for we are his handiwork having been created in messiah jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them right and in verse 19 that kind of caps off our second narrative of kind of the covenant people of god the gentiles being left in after messiah's triumph right becoming members of god's household and so they're kind of like linked up and it kind of like fits when you we kind of put it all out like this together that it's trying to tell us something it's it's almost like Paul is looking at the world from two different points of view. He's looking at the big scope, the big cosmic narrative, and then he's looking at the covenant people of God. And he's seeing them as basically the same story seen from two different angles, uh, which, you know, I just think is really, really cool. You know, it's something that, you know, it, it has that transformative power that, you know, there is this larger grand biblical narrative that we get to be part of. But there, there is one thing I want to camp out on a little bit, and I don't think we're necessarily going to have any answers here for it, but I think it's something just to, you know, talk about and discuss. You know, how do you guys think it that the Torah became an agent of death when itself was meant to be a gift, right? This was something that was meant to bring life, you know? This was something that was supposed to uh, be a blessing. And, you know, in Paul's view here, it seems like he's equating it to an agent of death. What do you guys think? Hmm. You know, it's funny when you mentioned that before, I was like, a light bulb went off. And then mm-hmm. as we went through all this other stuff, five minutes later, I'm like, what did I, what was I thinking before? <laughs> but so I don't know if I'm going to get it right, but well, good. I think that the, 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 the Torah, the law was something to teach people how to be, a royal priesthood Hmm. and how to um uh you know bring 
whatever you want to call to the world, bring God to the world, unite the world um, and heal the world uh, and bring life to the world. Like, it, you know, um, and then it became this, this thing that, that they became so observant to to the point where like they literally excluded people and, and they, even in their own people, they literally marginalized people yeah. uh, and by separating themselves from the world, they didn't bring life to the world. Like, like it was literally like this division. Like, so it, it uh, but, and also I think like the law can make us aware of sin to the point where we feel guilty and shame rather than feeling free. So even though maybe the sacrifices, the way that I think of them uh, is in ancient times, you always weren't sure if the gods were pleased with you. So by God prescribing specific sacrifices, ahead of time, it was actually kind of a way for you to know for sure that God was actually pleased with you if you did these things. Yeah. Rather than being this thing that was like, oh, I need to feel like it burdens me, like we kind of do in the Christian world where we make works be this, I don't know, this avenue to get grace in a sense. So I think they missed it. Uh, And then as I'm, I'm looking at here, like it seems like this, everything is kind of about this, hostility i think this whole thing we think it's about us only about us getting right with god and i think it's literally this whole story is about the jews and the rest of the world getting right with each other mm. and then it being one one humanity yeah. so this law actually almost created a division in humanity when it's probably maybe it was meant to be something that was going to create a unity, but it didn't work. And Jesus, and it says somewhere in here that Jesus became the thing. Ah, there's a verse yep. where it basically talks about something like, G, like we, it, Jesus divided the wall that now like it's because of him that we get to be united. So I'm, I'm thinking along those lines, but I can't remember the exact thing, but does that make any sense what I said? Yeah. Jesus abolished the wall of hostility. Yeah. As an NIV, like the veil of the temple. Right. And I don't think that that's necessarily the just the host. It is there is stuff about me and me and God, but then that's interesting too because it's like it's like your bad works got you know you were you were living this way and that separated you from God. You know what I mean? Whether well, probably in your mind in in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? And then then like somehow it talks about how like God did all these things like and then it's like well you're saved by grace. So all those bad works aren't didn't count against you, but then it actually says that we're God's workmanship. Yeah. All our bad works, like, don't matter because we're saved by grace because it's actually because it's bigger. It's actually about God's good works rather than our bad work. Like, so there's all these interweaving themes, but I think like somehow it became burdensome rather than a place of freedom. The Torah. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's how I'm trying. I can't articulate it, but I'm trying my best and I'm just rambling, but that's kind of that's what great. I'm. No, that's good. Thank you for your rambles. That was great. Good, good insights. Dwight, you have anything? Well, I think of, of Paul in, I think it's Romans, Romans seven, where he talks about the law was good, but mm-hmm. you know, I struggle with it because I know what's good and I keep doing because the, the flesh or the beast within just know what's good, but it just can't. And if you try to live by that, you know, but, and I think too, of Jesus in 
Matthew 23, and he talks about how the priests and everything had so corrupted everything. He tells the, the people who are listening, he says, you know, they sit in Moses' seat. You should listen to what they say, but not what they do. And they keep, keep loads and don't, you know, do anything. And how they corrupted and, you know, they shut the door in people's faces because they had taken away everything that was good about the law and, and that the, you know, the Tanakh or the, the whole Torah, everything had been become bad. And so he had, you know, even on the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but then I tell you, and they had not learned how to live it the way God had meant. And the whole thing about Israel, you know, through Abraham was they were supposed to be a light to the rest of the world right. and how to come. And so the whole thing of what Paul was saying is Jesus has come to change all that. You know, it was the promise from the beginning to, I guess, fulfill the law. And so, you know, that's all a whole lot put together. But in him saying, you know, he took away this, this thing that had separated us, you know, the taking away the division from man and the Holy of Holies and the whole thing that had gotten between, between man and God, because of the separation, because we just couldn't live up trying to do our own works, trying to live by the law, yeah. keeping all that, which became death to us. Mm. So, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, no, it's good. I think both of you guys' insights are really good because, you know, there's, there's this concept of, you know, something that was supposed to be a gift. Right. And putting that in, in man's hands in yeah. humanity's hands who still kind of at the same time, like they're under the shadow of death. They're right. going to take this, this perfect thing. And it's like, don't blame, you know, don't blame the tool, the tool, right. you know, you can do a lot of terrible things with, with different tools. Right. right. Uh, blame, blame the people, you right. know? So I just think that's a really interesting discussion because for me not to, you know, play favorites with, you know, like between Christianity and Judaism, it almost makes me wonder, you know, how should that kind of be a cautionary tale for us and the way, you know, we treat the Bible, you know, is there a way that the Bible itself can become an agent of death mm -hmm. uh, when used under the shadow of death, right? Used in the, the age, the present age, instead of living in between those two ages, mm -hmm. you know, what do you guys think about that? Well, I think, um, to answer that, I think one of the things that stuck out to me was kind of like when it says that, um, you know, in, in Christ Jesus, um, you know, you who were once far off were brought near by the blood of Christ. Because um, for he is our peace and he has made us both one. So this conversation is about Jews and Gentiles becoming one. Um, uh, and then... Um, that's what it broke down the the flesh of dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. And I think like, it's like something I think even before that, when it talks about that, it's we were bought, brought near by the blood of Christ. And I think sometimes we only look at that as some sort of atonement, but mm. it's actually the Jewish guy submitting to the Gentile. His blood is actually breaking down 
the wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Yeah. Um, and I think what happens now is if like, so just like I was talking about before where the sacrifices were actually something that could have been seen as very good because you knew that God was pleased with you because he told you ahead of time what he wanted. Right. We look at the cross and we know for sure that God loves us. And in Hebrews, it talks about that it can give us a clear, it's to give us a clear conscience, something that the blood of animals could not do. Mm. But then what we do is we take this Bible, which is supposed to be pointing us to the fact that God loves us all and we can be a new humanity. And as one humanity, we now become a new temple for God. And then we use that very thing as, a, as an agent of death to say, hey, you're not repenting. You're not doing it the way that I think you should do it. Now you're not, and God's mad at you, and, or you're not as good as me. And it creates division, even amongst Christians, let alone the rest of the world. Um, 30,000 denominations is proof enough that mm-hmm. it can still be used as an agent of death. It's an interesting question. Like, you know, what is, what is the church? You know, like where, where does the church end? You know, like looking at a, I always like to look at the diagrams, um, you know, church family tree where you can kind of see all the branches. You kind of see where everything comes, but it's still like one trunk, you know? And so I I find these questions very interesting. It was actually Paul who, you know, led me into first thinking through these things about church unity and like what, what that really means. And, you know, and um, I remember first reading it and being like, why, why is, why aren't we bothered by this more? Like we need to, we need to be doing something about this. Uh, this is interesting. Dwight, did you have any thoughts about that? Well, I come back to, you know, something that N.T. Wright wrote, you know, about how Paul's kind of conversion, you know, Paul yeah. never quit being exactly. basically a Jew. Right. You know, he just he just understood, you know, that, that God was through, through Jesus bringing everything back together and fulfilling it all. And that he was bringing the Gentiles into the family, you know, and it wasn't like he became a Christian. He just understood that we were following Christ and that, it was all brought, brought back together again and uh, uh, bringing the Gentiles in. And, and I'm, I'm looking at this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And I'm, I'm trying to get my head around that expressed in ordinances. What I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what are the ordinances? You know, is this, is this something that changed because Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not abolishing the law, but I'm fulfilling it. I'm not taking away from the law. Um, you know, and that kind of, you know, he took away the hostility of the law, abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances. You know, is this something that was corrupted or twisted that divided that he was bringing people back together. This is the thing that troubles me, you know, because Jesus says one thing, Paul's saying something else that seems to be a little bit in conflict here. Cause he said, Jesus says, I'm not abolishing the law, right. but fulfilling the law. Yeah. So this is, this is a troubling thing I have. 
That's good. Yeah. I think that's a good thing to wrestle with. Um, you know, and I think I kind of want to just let it hang there because I, I think that is something that, you know, you should, should make you wonder, you know, yeah. like um, I, I have my own thoughts, you know, kind of going back to the whole, you know, tool thing, you know, don't blame a tool, even if it's a perfect tool. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's a great question to ask. And I think that that'll only lead you to great places. <laughs> so okay. I'm encouraged by questions like that. So cool. Let's uh let's dive in then a little deeper. See if I get my screen back up here. I will think I'll do that myself. I think I can do that. Yep. All right. <clears throat> All right, cool. So we're gonna move on then. Uh, we're gonna be look so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna kind of zoom in to the first narrative. And we're going to like, we're going to go through it point by point. Right. And then from there, uh, we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to kind of look at two things. We're going to look at grace and we're going to look at the powers. We're going to probably look at grace today. Definitely. Uh, the powers may have to wait till next week, um, but they're, they're important as we'll see. So let's, let's kind of go through this together. So the first met, the first meta narrative or the first narrative uh, is, you know, this cosmic point of view, um, cosmic point of view that we're looking at here uh, in verse two, one through 10. Let's just go through, uh, sorry, verse one through three. So the first thing uh, in verse one, we can read that together real quick. And you're all being dead in your transgressions and sins. Uh, you know, that's kind of like the state, <laughs> the state of man, the state that we're in, you know, deeply rooted in Paul's worldview. Again, going back to Genesis one through four, uh, you know, humans made as divine image bearers, right? We were meant to be image of images of God. Uh, but instead of imaging God, right, we turned away from God and reflect only ourselves back at each other, our own desires, right? Think about Eve. She saw she desired, she took, she ate, right? All in there is kind of the story of humanity. We see something, we want it, we take it, and then there's consequences to our taking, right? That whole concept of exile or death, which we talked about earlier, right? Turning away from source of life and towards death, you know? And the idea that every person in the world has made this choice at some point to turn away to a life and turn towards death, to live under the shadow of death, or, in, you know, in other ways, the living dead. You know, I don't know if you guys like that show, The Walking Dead is kind of, you know, it's not, it's not zombies, but in a sense it is, you know, it's this idea that we're, we're alive, but we're really dead. Because one thing we all know, none of us is getting out of here alive, right? Death, I can, I can, do, I can do some things well, but I know death is something that I, I can't solve on my own. And 2-2, we have this weird thing, the ruler of the authority of the air, right? This concept of being enslaved to dark spiritual forces. Uh, we're going to talk about the powers soon. We might get a little bit to it today. If not, uh, you know, we're going to get to it next week. The idea of that two ages diagram, right? And in the, the present age, there's slavery, slavery to death or slavery to these dark spiritual forces. I have another phrase in two, three, sons of disobedience. That's a good one. 
right? Among whom we also used to live by the passions of our flesh, doing the will of the flesh and the mindsets, and were by nature children of wrath as also the rest, or this idea, children's of wrath, or I have here, sons of disobedience. It's kind of a Hebrew turn of fa- phrase. It means member of a group, you know, sons of the prophets, right? Uh, company of the prophets. Uh, and in this sense, it's almost like those who are in the company of death, those who belong to death, right? This isn't an idea of like original sin or those destined to be disobedient. These are those through who their decision, right? They've decided to you know, live under the shadow of death. And then we have God's solution to the human condition. Of course, right? Humanity has become the living dead. Humanity is destroying itself. So of course, what does God do? He gives them mercy and love, right? He uh, he decides to make them, you know, make the new humanity, right? Which will be in the second narrative. Uh, so God gives mercy and love. Uh, this, you know, you should be thinking about Noah, at this point, remember Noah gets off the boat, right? Noah makes a sacrifice. The aroma is very pleasing to God. And what does God say? You know what? You're never going to change. You're still the same person. You're still the same human beings, but I will never again, you know, see the end of all flesh come up before me. God makes a covenant with Noah, right? Totally undeserved. Verse five Right. And we being dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with the Messiah. By grace, you all have been saved. He made us alive together with the Messiah. Our death is reversed by the Messiah's resurrection. We are both resurrected beings and destined to be resurrected. Remember the two ages diagram where we made a, we're made alive with Christ and we're going to be resurrected when Christ returns or that, that kind of idea. Right. And six. And he raises up together and sat us together in the heavenlies with Messiah Jesus. So he raised us together and seated us in the heavenly realm. We were talking about this earlier, the two ages diagram. We're both enthroned with Jesus now and we'll be enthroned with him when he returns. You know, remember in verse 120, God's power, which raised Messiah from the dead ones and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So recalling language from there. 2 7. Uh, demonstrate, let's read that together, two, seven, in order that he might demonstrate in the ages which are coming the surprising richness of his grace by kindness in Messiah Jesus. So there's this really weird thing that it's almost like, you know, and this, again, I just finished my Ezekiel class. So this is making me think so that the, the world may know, so the nations will know, right? You know, that's kind of ringing in my head still. That's kind of the theological topic that I chose Yahweh and the nations to kind of write my paper on. They gave us like three choices of, of things to write it on. Uh, and that idea that God is trying to, to prove something, God is trying to show something to some, someone or, or something. Right. So in order that he might demonstrate in ages coming, the surpassing richness of his grace, you know, and we're going to unpack this idea of grace yet, uh, you know, next, you know, it's something that it's, it's very, very interesting. Whenever we reach some words or phrases uh, that, you know, we, we don't have a lot of familiarity with in English. Uh, it's something that we have to kind of just pause for a second. Um, and okay. All right. So we're going to have a quick discussion. Uh, so we, we kind of alluded to this a little bit before, 
So Ephesians 2.8, right, is often understood primarily as individualistic. Is that how have you read this in the past? Have you read this before in the past? Like, you know, this, this is about me. And I'm not saying it's not about you. Uh, but in what way, in seeing this verse applied to the social relationships within a church community, how has that kind of maybe changed your understanding? Because think about it, this letter being an encyclical, right? It would be circling all through that valley of which, you know, Ephesians was kind of at the end of the road. Uh, you know, a church group made of, of people who, you know, had been divided for hundreds, if not thousands of years along ethnic and, and racial lines, right? How would that how would that maybe change your understanding if we, you know, approach this, um, the scripture and remembering, you know, like that this is speaking to a community. It's not speaking directly to you. It's speaking to you all. Any thoughts guys? Uh, to me, it's, it's kind of like, it's not an instruction if it's not a personal to me versus I, well, it's, it's remember that this is something that's been given to all of you all as a, a gift instead of if it's like, oh, by grace, me have been saved. It's more like an instruction that, hey, this is specific for you that, hey, this is how something happens an instruction instead of this is something that's happened to all of you this is how sorry go for it okay yeah sorry about that <clears throat> go ahead go for it keep going that was good yep that's the end of that oh that was it that was good <laughs> thanks dwight i appreciate it okay yeah go for it nick yeah, I don't know. I'm still trying to, to ponder because I think, you know, everything is so multi-layered. And then, you know, because like right now, like, uh, like I'm on my phone. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I got to scroll down. Like, what is that parallel verse? Like, mean, like, <laughs> there's so much there. But I do. I think it's been a while since I've known that this was not talking about personal and this was talking about, hmm. you know, the hostility. But I still haven't looked at this chapter the same way that we're looking at it right now. Mm. Um, so I'm still like, I, th I think like by grace, you know, y'all have been saved through faith, um, not by your own doing. It's the, it's the gift of, I, I just feel like it's kind of, it's almost kind of like, it's not this personal, this is one angle. I think there's a million, right? You know, but one angle, it's not this personal thing like, God saved me by grace, and now I get to go to heaven. It, it's kind of like we're all saved, and and it's by grace. So it's not because Dwight. It's not Dwight can't feel better than me in this relationship. Like Dwight's, like, oh, I did more, and I can't feel better than Dwight. It's kind of like all of it is just grace. So we both. There's no competing with one another. And we can just become one because it's like we were both we both needed grace, whether we were the ones that were near or the ones that were far. Yeah. We were both saved by grace. Mm -hmm. um, and it's supposed to be something that unites us and gives us this thing in common that makes us one rather than 
just makes me feel like, okay, whatever that's called, you know, vertical, me and God are good. So that's one way I'm thinking of it. I don't know if that's true. That's the way I'm reading it. Yep. No, it, it's it's an interesting idea of like, like what, you know, sometimes you can think about what's the whole point of Christianity. There's this idea of, okay, the new, new humanity is being created. And like, how does that, how does that work? You know, and I think in a church, or even if you think about the global church, like, you know, like there are many ways that I think, um, well, you know, I know that we can divide each other over, well, I think this, I do that. You know, you think about, well, I follow Barnabas, I follow Paul, you know, thinking about Paul's language and, you know, like how we can think of, well, maybe there's grace enough, you know, to kind of cover all this and we can still all uh, be one. Mm-hmm. So cool. Awesome, guys. Uh, let's unpack grace. <clears throat> let's unpack grace. We did our discussion. Good. So next steps, like as I said, we're going to unpack grace. We're going to start unpacking the powers. Uh, we're going to do another deep dive, just like what we did with the first narrative into Ephesians 2, 11 uh, through 18. And then we're going to finally get to Jesus. And Jesus, remember, is in the center of this whole chiasm that we're dealing with. So what is grace? So Paul versus us. (laughs) You know, this is something that we always have to think through uh, whenever we encounter the Bible, right? Because the Bible uses words that are outdated. And we have to remember, words don't mean anything. People mean things, right? So we have to think through, okay, like what is Paul meaning by this language that he's using, right? Uh, so how is Paul using this word? Or, you know, what does this word mean that Paul's using in its own context? What we what we shouldn't do, I mean, we can do, I was going to say what you, what you can't do, we, we do do this, uh, is assume that our tradition, right, or what have been handed or kind of what's in the air, what's, you know, everyone knows this, is what, you know, the same thing that Paul's meaning here. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. So we're going to be a good neighbor to Paul. We're going to love him as, you know, we would love ourselves. We would want to be understood when we talk. So we're going to try and understand Paul as well when he talks. We're going to talk about grace, uh, you know, being a gift. So it's Greek for charis, which literally means gift. Or metaphorically, it can be used to show the attitude or some type of attribute of the one who's giving the gift, right? So that's what that's what it kind of literally means as we go into this. And, you know, the way Paul's using it here is there's this incongruity. So I'm going to use a fancy word like suzerain vassal covenant, right? That's kind of like the Abrahamic covenant, the idea of, you know, God is greater. Abraham was lesser. So God gave this gift to Abraham. He gave him this gift of this blessing, right? That was supposed to be for the, all the nations, right? It's supposed to be for all the nations. Uh, but, you know, we we abandon it. So God kind of restarted with Abraham and then Jesus kind of resolved both conflicts at once. Uh, so there's this idea of, you know, this a gift being so great that we could never repay it. So this is kind of how Paul is using it here. Uh, the other The other idea is an idea of reciprocity, right? If you think about Proverbs 18, 16, right? A gift opens the way of the giver and ushers them in to the presence of the great, you know, which on its face 
seems a lot different than the way we would think of as of a, of as an ideal gift, right? Kind of growing up here in the United States, when I would when I would think of okay, the best gift someone can give me, it would be something that it was totally unprompted. I totally wasn't expecting it, and they gave it to me, and there were there were no strings attached. Like here is here's a fancy car, here's a Jeep Wrangler, here is a hundred thousand dollars, here is a few gold bars, here is you know two tickets to somewhere, here's a house in the woods by a lake. Dwight's like check check check. I have all this in Wyoming, uh, or, or he knows where I can get it. Uh, you know. And there would be no strings attached. They wouldn't want anything. It would be like, oh, wow, this is just such such an amazing gift, you know? But in Paul's worldview, it's, it's much, much different, you know? In Paul's worldview, like, the gift is a way to form a relationship. There's an, there is an expectation of something in return. And so that's something that, you know, we need to, to think about when we, when we hear the word grace. We actually could do a really good exercise. We're not going to do it for the sake of time. But if you have a pen or something to write down something, I want you to write down Step Bible, S-T-E-P, Bible. And that is, uh, so I remember last time I, I did one of these things with you guys, I kind of introduced you to the Blue Letter Bible. The Blue Letter Bible is great. But the Step Bible, is it's kind of like a really powerful open source uh, searchable tool for the Bible. I think it's by Tyndale. Tyndale, I think, are the people behind this tool. So, you know, Tyndale is pretty legit. Uh, and you can do you can do a search for Karis, which you know you can just do Grace, and, you, and the word Karis will pop up, and you can hit Karis. You can kind of go to all of the issues of the word Karis in the scriptures, and you can see a lot of times uh, it's translated it's translated as gift, just you know, simple on the face gift, and then other times it's translated as grace. So, you know, when Paul is saying like in verse eight, for it is by grace, what he's really saying is for by this gift, all of you have been saved through trust. So it's just an interesting little thing to think about. And why I think it's so interesting is because, you know, this is God's solution. God's solution is humanity is destroying itself. So he's going to give a gift and the gift is new humanity. And this, this is kind of like the part that I think in one sense, kind of melts Paul's brain when he kind of gets, when he gets to this, this, uh, you know, this apocalypse, when he has this apocalypse, uh, cause it's like, but they were destroying themselves. They weren't even, they weren't even your people, <laughs> you know, they were, they were out and they were doing like, you know, the nations, we don't like the nations. We hate the nations. And God decides like together, Jews and the Gentiles together going to form one new humanity. And there's this expectation to respond as a new humanity should. And that means free of old restrictions, hostilities, and dividing lines. We have to think of the, the way now Paul is using this gift, right? Not the way necessarily that we always think about, it. oh, this is, you know, this is about me and this is about my sins. Um, I'm not saying it's not. All, all I'm saying is that, you know, the way Paul is kind of using it here, he's applying it to like basically these separate groups that used to be at opposition with each other has somehow now become one, one new family, one new humanity. And this is, this is the gift uh, through what the Messiah did. And the other th reason I find this very interesting um, <clears throat> is because of church history, right? So I feel like church history has a long history of kind of tripping over this. Uh, there's a great book that I wanted to recommend to you guys. Let me see if I can find it. 
Uh, yeah, it's by John M.G. Barkley, Paul and the Gift. And if you don't have time to read, uh, you can always just listen to one of his lectures on grace on YouTube. You owe it to yourself. It's it's really, really good. And you know, the reason I'm bringing this up, because in his book, he talks about how the history of the church with the word grace or this gift, this gift that Paul keeps mentioning in all his letters. And if, you know, we had time, we can go through all of them. There's, there's quite a lot, uh, you know, but there, there seems to be this, this where they kind of got some of it. They didn't get all of it. And then he kind of outlines what he thinks grace is or the gift. And then he kind of gives you that. And it's, it's a really good book. Definitely pick it up and read it. Um, but I think in many ways, I, I've even seen this in my own life. I think the pendulum tends to swing to either, you know, save by grace alone. There's nothing you need to do. Or it's kind of gone the other way where it's like, no, no, you need to work out your fear, your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, so there's kind of these two extremes with the word grace, uh, you know, which I think is, you know, it's very, very interesting. For whatever reason, this gift that, you know, Paul keeps talking about, this grace has been something that's kind of been, you know, a stumbling block for many people uh, throughout the years. So, you know. I think when we, when we come to these kind of difficulties too, and, you know, I think it's inarguable. That's something that no one could argue about that you can go to any library and you'll find bookshelves full of people who disagree on what grace is, um, you know, where, you know, Paul seems to be operating on some type of other level where this, this is no longer an issue. <laughs> you know, I think I kind of got this, you know, me personally, but then there's other times where I'm like, nah, that's just, but even that, that just doesn't make sense. And then, you know, like that seems like a lot of pressure and I, you know, I don't like pressure. So what do you guys think? Um, what do you guys think about some of these thoughts we have about grace and about the church history in particular, about its long history of like kind of getting grace, kind of not, what do you, what do you guys think? Well, I mean, I think it's complicated. It's interesting because I haven't read the book, but I, uh, Right around Christmas time, I was having a talk with several people, and we were talking about this book in particular. And oh, they nice. were talking about um, how uh, they had interviewed like some hundred or, or more ministers from different backgrounds. And they were like, what, what book has helped you like a lot, like the most or whatever? And they, and they mentioned this book. Mm. Um, because they said, if it's the same, I'm pretty sure it's the same book, it, it, it was it helped them understand what the meaning of grace was then and what, and what the um, uh, expected, like you said, it opens the door for a relationship and there's an expectation in the relationship. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm really curious about that. I think um, we have had this bad relationship with grace uh, in the church because it is very extreme. And then those who, who are really trying to be committed then they have a real anger. They have an issue with what they call cheap grace. Mm. Like, oh, we don't want to preach cheap grace. Um, and then some people, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, I have grace, you know, so I, that's what I'm saying. And, and it does create this weird tension and it creates a dividing wall, which is, and it, it ends up becoming um, very like Pharisee, like watching Jesus deal with the Pharisees. It's almost kind of like just when you think you got it on one side, it's like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I, I got to re reevaluate on this side a little bit. Mm. Um, but I think it caused a lot of problems um, uh, in the church because also I think with 
with leadership in the church, from my experience and, and looking at it, um, there's almost like a need for job security. <laughs> and and if you help people to understand, like what you're doing is teaching and is, 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 is different than what some people are doing when they're preaching. Um, uh, which is, it's almost like dangling the carrot in front of people and you never really achieve it. So you always kind of need me. Um, mm. So it's a very different kind of preaching of, of grace. So it's like one minute you make you feel like God loves you, but then it's like, oh, but yeah, but don't stop working for it. But it's different when you enter into this relationship because it's actually the experience of the gift, the experience of the unearned gift, unexpected, unearned gift that creates this almost this transformational loyalty that's real and genuine rather than something that you're, you're trying, like where a lot of Christian churches were either like, well, I can just keep on sinning so grace may increase, or it's like, I got to make sure I, I, I'm, I'm doing enough to not lose grace. And I think you see it a lot in Jesus, especially in the book of Luke, there's always this him giving this unearned uh, or unexpected love, whether it's Zacchaeus up in a tree, I must eat at your house, or whether it's the woman who's crying, you know, at Simon the leper's house, and then he's like, oh, her sins have been forgiven as her, as her actions already show, or whether it's John, you know, the woman caught adultery, it's like, uh, I don't condemn you, now leave your life of sin. It's always this, I forgive you first, I give you a gift and then that creates the loyalty. And I think sometimes the church has been afraid to give people the real gift and let it be between that, the person and God if they're going to have that loyalty. And I don't understand all of it. Maybe there's a fear there. Maybe there's fear for the person's quote unquote salvation. I think, you know, but there's something there. That's, I think it causes a yeah. big problem. But once I think when you experience it, that's what becomes transformational is the experiencing of and understanding the gift. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because, you know, for me, I remember the way I, I would take, you know, this, I, I would think I was very much more in a camp of, you know, trying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I remember hearing a message on grace, like, you know, a long time ago at this point, maybe 17, 18 years ago. And, uh, you know, he, he, the guy was preaching on grace and I kept on waiting for him to qualify it, you know, like with, but, you know, you, you still need to do things and you need to, you need to, you know, you need to do all these good works. And then he didn't, and he just ended. And then he walked off stage. And I remember just being like, this is, you know, this changes everything, you know, like well, this, you know, like, like you say, just kind of putting grace on the table, uh, you know, sometimes can be very disruptive, you know, to, I think both extremes. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Dwight? I, I've heard people, you know, use the work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I, I just feel like so often that is, that's an abused scripture. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like when I look at Jesus and the way he, he works with people. And, and like you say, that the people that he just gives, you know, unending love to, and it's like 
it feels like they, they use that and, and put people on a tightrope. Whereas gift is this, you know, unearned love, you know, it's a gift. And, you know, it's, it's like we should have peace. But yet the only warning we have from Paul is that if we intentionally, you know, keep sinning, the, that's the only warning I ever see from Paul. And, you know, the things to some churches where he addresses this, you know, in, intentional type of sin, like, are you crazy? And then he goes back to, you know, are you trying to earn your salvation? And that, that to me puts a nail in the coffin, a coffin of how people abuse that one scripture, you know, working out your salvation with fear and trembling as though it's a work type of salvation, you know, you know, and, and then, you know, saved by grace as though that's, well, okay, you know, that's, you know, I don't have to worry about anything else. Well, of course you, to me, saved by grace, what you end up doing afterwards is unending gratitude. You know, if you have to do things because you're saved by grace, to me, that's a begrudging thing. But if you're, if I get a, an earned, unearned gift, I am so grateful you know, there's no telling how much I would do for that yeah. in my heart. It changes a heart. And I think about the woman who just can't stop weeping at Jesus' feet. And he talks to, I think it's Simon, and says, look at this woman. You know, and you haven't done anything, but look at her heart and what she's done. So to me, that's the gift, the type of unearned gift. So that's the the difference the of the tension and how something can be misused so yeah no it's it's all all good stuff you know because it is you know it's a gift in a sense it was you know it was unconditioned it was a gift that you know god gave uh but it's not necessarily unconditional like there are right. conditions uh you know but then working out exactly what those conditions are I was even thinking about this, you know, while prepping the lesson, because, you know, my head has all been in Genesis 1 through 11 for, for a while now, you know, because I've kind of been f learning how to follow the rabbit trails from anywhere in mm -hmm. scripture, going back to another scripture that somehow goes back to Genesis 1 through 11. It's almost like, like, what was that game we used to play as kids? Uh, Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know, <laughs> like, find the movie that Kevin Bacon is somehow like related to, like in any movie. Because uh, he, he at that time he had been in so many movies. I don't know if you could play that game anymore. Um, but you know, and even if you don't know biblical Greek, right? You you can tell like you, you can kind of pull that out. Whereas by grace you have been saved through trust it is not from yourselves; it is the gift of God. It is not from works in order that no one can boast. So you can just end it right there, and you can go like grace alone. That's done. But even like without you know any Greek, you can kind of just keep reading. It's like for we are his handiwork having been created in Messiah Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. And I think even this logical outline translation, it's kind of, I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, the initial blessing that God wanted, the initial thing, like not necessarily like the things I need to do now, right? You know, I need to get my checklist off, you know, but it's like there was an initial state of humanity that mm -hmm. God wanted, and there was this blessing that He He gave the first people, right? That went hard and ended up being abandoned and going horribly wrong. 
but that blessing is like still there. Mm -hmm. And those things that God wants, uh, you know, he's prepared for me, he's prepared for all of us. It's, it's still there. And he, that we would walk in them, you know? And to me, that's like, right there is like the mission of life to the full, uh, you know, message to Christians right there is getting back to the blessing, you know, and, and what does that mean? So cool. That is grace. So we spent some time to unpacking grace. Could we talk about it more? Of course we could. Are we going to? Not tonight. Uh, we're going to talk briefly about the powers and then we're going to kind of wrap up. So the powers, right? If we, we were just in Ephesians 2, if you look in 2, we have the ruler of the authority of the air. That makes us go, who is this person that he's talking about? Who is this shadowy figure? And you go back to Ephesians 1, 20 through 21. We've kind of been introduced to this before, you know, Christ, skip ahead a little bit, is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So the powers, or Paul's concept of powers is something that I was very uncomfortable with <laughs> when I first started reading Paul uh, deeply, Right. So there's these ideas of these spiritual forces that even if you don't take them seriously, like, you know, things like angels, demons, spiritual forces, all types, types of stuff like that, uh, you have to at least admit that the authors of scripture took these seriously. Like, you know, like the gospel authors, you know, the, you know, there'd be exorcism. It felt like every time Jesus turned a corner, there, you know, like there, there was another demon for him to deal with in some of the gospel stories. So it's something that, you know, like, it becomes a problem, right? Because in my in my modern mind, those you know, I always thought those things were were foolish. There were there were no these, these things just didn't exist, right? But in the biblical imagination, they they do, you know. And Paul has a really clear idea of what the powers are and what they're doing, you know. And I think it can make some modern auth modern not authors of scripture, modern readers of scripture a little twitchy, you know, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to recommend one author, Michael Heiser, right? He wrote Unseen Realm, Supernatural Angels, Demons. He is legit Bible scholar. Uh, he also has a podcast. He doesn't go too much into like his whole work with, um, you know, the powers or, you know, spiritual, uh, supernatural things in his podcast. He's more of like a hardcore, like he's very good biblical scholarship. He has a lot of people that come in and do interviews, all type of stuff like that. And the Bible project did a great series on this where they have either short videos, which are really, really cool. And the podcasts are just an outstanding that they've done on all this. And I believe they interviewed Mike Heiser on it and N.T. Wright. Cause you know, obviously as a new Testament scholar, N.T. Wright is very comfortable uh, talking and dealing with these powers. They are key figures in the new Testament and they go all the way back to the opening pages of Genesis, right? There seems to be some type of overlap with these powers. Though sometimes it seems like Paul is talking about like earthly institutions and other times it seems like he's talking about not earthly, like things not of this earth, like heavenly, heavenly realities. You know, there seems to be some type of bleeding. When you see social injustice, like we would say corrupt politicians, we would say corrupt uh, world leaders, we would say, you know, human evil. Paul would say yes, but he would say the reality is it's never a person. There are these shadowy figures behind that, which we're going to talk about a little bit more 
hopefully next week. And I, just as a cautionary tale, this is a huge rabbit hole. We're not going to, we're not going to dive too deep into it. We could spend, I still don't feel like I've reached the end to it, but I do know, you know, Paul was kind of my gateway into these powers as well. Uh, the work of Mike Heisner really helped me at like, you know, kind of frame this in my head. And since I've kind of like, kind of like turned this on in my own reading of scripture, you know, lots of lights kind of turn on while I go through different stories in both, you know, the Hebrew scriptures and the new Testament. So I'm hoping that will do something for you as well. And then, you know, we'll talk a lot about how the power is related to Jesus and what he did and the kind of all of Ephesians is kind of, you know, kind of culminating with that. So thank you guys so much. It has been an awesome time with you guys all. Uh, we will be back here next week. Um, ran out of time, unfortunately, but we will we will do a we will do a dive, not a deep dive, into the powers next week, and we will be we will be doing that. So, guys, thank you so much. And can someone say uh, adios, muchachos, and adios, muchachos, for me? It's just something we do to end the show. Dwight, I'm going to pick on you. You say adios, muchachos. Adios, muchachos. Andre, because you were late, you have to say adios, muchachos. Adios, muchachos.